Morning. So this morning we're going to be reading Psalm 27. Uh, The title of it is, The Lord is my light and my salvation. It is a psalm of David. Uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my, uh, because of my enemies. Give me, not, uh, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I sh- shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. All right, y'all. Y'all may be seated. Uh, Well, good morning, uh, church family. For those of you who I don't know, uh, my name is Brian Carroll. I serve as one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer, and I'm just so grateful for us to to be uh, together this morning. I'm also grateful to be uh, preaching. It has been a minute, um, so I've got to dust the cobwebs off a little bit, but I'm excited uh, to, to bring Psalm 27 to y'all this morning to, to work through it, because I think there's just a lot of good and, and gold here. And so, but before we do, uh, really quick, I just do, do want to say one thing. Um, I just want to say, uh, just say, say thank you uh, for everyone uh, who helped, who brought chili, who brought a pie, who just brought your appetite um, for last week for the chili cook-off. I, I just love this, that's, this rhythm so much. Um, uh, throughout the New Testament, um, the, the language that Paul uses to describe the church is very family. Uh, it's it's a, the, the household of God is meant to be a family. The church is a, a family. And, and I'm so thankful that uh, there are rhythms here at Redeemer that, that, that feels like it's just highlighted. Uh, and being together last week um, with the chili cook-off and just and, and eating good food and hanging out, uh, it just it felt like one of those moments where just I've really felt that family uh, that the Lord has put together here at Redeemer. And so I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm thankful. Thank you for everyone who came and hung out and brought and helped. And so I just is uh, I'm excited for for next year because I actually might try to make some chili. We'll see. I don't know. Um, all right, y'all. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead and uh, turn to Psalm 27. Um, so as we begin our, our time this morning, uh, the question uh, I want to ask is, what do you normally do with your fears? I'm going to go ahead and make the giant leap and assume that we all have them. Um, if, if you don't have them, just 
dig hard enough, you'll find something. Um, uh, but what do you normally do uh, with your fears? Um, see, see, fears can, can, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of things that we, we might fear. Uh, some of you might be fearing, man, are the Eagles going to beat the Cowboys today? Um, so I, I had to slide that in there. Why not? Low-hanging fruit. Um, some of y'all might be fearing, well, did the pastor get the memo that it's, you know, an hour back, and is he going to preach the normal length, or is he going to plan to preach a little bit longer today? Am I going to get the roses on time? Um, some of y'all might have those kinds of fears right now, especially like, dude, the guy's like dusting out the cobwebs, he's preaching a long time, he's going to just be, anyways, you see, I'm, I'm long-winded, um, right? But, but fears uh, like can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and, and to, to, to be a little more serious, um, some of you uh, might have a fear of people. There might be certain people that are around you that they make you feel anxious or you're not really sure where you stand with them. Some people just might be really explicitly antagonistic against you. Um, some people, you, there might be just some fear surrounding your, your job. There's, 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 there's deadlines, there's expectations, there's pressures, and there's things going on that you feel like you, you, no matter what you do, it's, it's a lose-lose. Um, some of you might have fears. I'm like, am I just going to make it at the end of the month? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am I going to be able to um, uh, provide for my family? Um, perhaps you're in a circumstance right now that just feels very dark and it's hard and it's difficult and you're just like, yeah, I don't see any way out of it. Um, maybe for some of you in here, there's just a sin struggle or a pattern that just feels like it's the thing that's winning in your life right now and you can't shake it. So I could go on and on with the things that might cause us fear. Um, but again, the question that I'm interested in, in talking about today is not so much what are your fears, but rather what do we do with them? What do we, what do, we do when that pit of anxiety just hits your chest and that worry and that just, that those, those feelings of, of, of nervousness just permeate uh, your whole body and you don't know what to do with it and you just want to escape it? Where do you go to try to find relief or comfort? Um, can you even find comfort and encouragement in moments like that when the fears feel so uh, pressing against your soul? What I love about Psalm 27 is that it is an incredibly human uh, psalm that I think deals with these spectrum of emotions and helps us deal with what do we do with the things that might cause us fear uh, and anxiety. And if I had to boil down our, our, our time together, if I had to boil down this psalm uh, in, one, uh, in a couple quick sentences, it's that fears are real, but God is safe. Fears are real, but God is safe. And so when you look at the structure of Psalm 27, there's really three kind of big uh, chunks that, that is in this psalm is structure that's really going to help guide our time uh, this morning. You see verses one through six of, of this proclamation of who God is in light of our fears and, 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 and the goodness of his presence. You see that seven, verses seven through 12 are this prayers that David praise in light of his fears. And then you see 13 and 14 as to what do we do with our fears moving forward? And so you see this, this uh, proclamation in one through six, you see this prayer in seven through 12, and then you see this prescription or encouragement in verses 13 through 14. Look at that alliteration. Um, that's a great way to dust off the preaching cobwebs. Proclamation, prayer, prescription. That's kind of the structure of the psalm. 
But before we dive in, I think it's also really important for us to look at how the psalm begins and how the psalm ends. So let me read the verse 1 and 14, and I want to kind of give us some thoughts to think about as we continue to work through this psalm. So verses, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? All right, look at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Here's what I think the psalmist is cluing in on um, uh, as we are to think about the psalmist in entirety. What if the goal isn't necessarily a resolution of our fears? What if the goal isn't the resolution of anxiety and nervousness and for those things and relief from those things? But rather, what if the goal is just knowing that God is with you through them? What if the goal isn't relief, but rather knowing the nearness of God? And, and what we see, I think the psalm is going to help us see, is that we are really to shift what is that we really hope for? What is it that we really want? And sometimes what we really want isn't the thing we really need. Because a lot of times what we want in fear is relief. What we want in fear is resolution. What we want is, is, is a loop to be closed. And those aren't bad things. But really what I think Psalm 27 is going to help us see is that what we really need, especially in in these moments of of, of high pressure, is the nearness of God and his presence. And so I think the psalmist is going to make that well, uh, help us really see that clearly. Uh, I love the way a a friend of ours, a friend of Redeemer, Kendrick Banks, he's preached here a couple times. Uh, He gives this really good quote about how we to see our fear in the light and, and our need for the Lord in the midst of it. He says, when we are honest about our fear, we will find we gain an opportunity to exercise faith. That is to say, feeling fear is our body's way of telling us we need to trust something, someone beyond us. And Psalm 27 is going to help us see who, why that's where our real need lies. So verses one through three, Uh, you see a bit of a contrast going on between those who trust in the Lord, really David, who puts his trust and confidence in God, and those who don't. And he labels them as his enemies. And we see that in verse 1, it starts off with these two really strong proclamations of who God is and the character of God. We see it first off that David calls the Lord his light and his salvation, so we're familiar with that language that, that, that God is light. You see that predominantly in the New Testament. But actually in the Old Testament, this is the only time where God is explicitly called light. I mean, certainly there's, there's that, that metaphor, that language is used, but explicitly describing God as light is, the, is only found in Psalm 27. And so what, what is a light? a light? A light illuminates what's ahead. A light illuminates what is dark. And so when David calls God his light, he's saying, Lord, you are the one who illuminates my way. You are the one who shows me which direction to go. And then he says, you are also my salvation. And that word for salvation simply just means deliverer. Lord, you are my light. You show me where to go and you deliver me from evil. And then he asks the rhetorical question, of whom shall I be afraid? And then you see uh, in the second part of the verse, he says, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the word stronghold also means refuge. So a refuge is this place we go to when there's danger, 
when there's a threat, when there's something going on, we seek refuge, right? The few times a year we actually get rain in West Texas, we go inside, unless you want to play in it. That's also fun too, right? But refuge is a place we go to seek shelter and safety. But note too, he says that you are the stronghold of my life. This is pretty an important little detail here because what he is indicating is that he's not just a refuge to, to him sometimes. Or there's not just certain moments of his life that, that he finds safety from the Lord and there's other moments where he can just kind of figure out what to do or what's best for him. But rather, when he says he's the stronghold of my life, David is not compartmentalizing his life in certain moments, but rather he's seeing all of my life, God, you are my refuge. I need you for all of my life. And so these two, and the answer to these two rhetorical questions, who shall I fear, of whom shall I be afraid, is no one. That's, that's what's implied in, ver, in, in verse one, when, God, when David makes these strong proclamations of who God is. God is my refuge. He's my salvation. He is my light. Because ultimately, no one else can describe themselves as those things perfectly. God is, is the one who perfectly illuminates our direction. God is the one who perfectly gives salvation. God is the one who can perfectly be our safety and our refuge in the midst of, of fears and anxieties. And so uh, we see, though, that it's important that David sees uh, him, God, as his refuge in all of his life. And because of the backdrop of verse 1, and you see it really in verses 2 and 3, is that David is in the middle of experiencing extreme pressure, extreme threats from his enemies. Let me read verses 2 and 3. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So, so the language we see here is that he's experiencing high pressure from those who are trying to come against him. The language in verse two says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, the image that we get here is like a lion that's about to devour its prey, right? You watch a National Geographic show or something on the Discovery, we know that doesn't end well for the antelope, right? Like it's going to get destroyed. That's the kind of image that David is giving here. Like my enemies are this violent against me. There, there is, when he says, um, Though an army encamp against me, the image that I get is like uh, just this, this vast army of, of thousands of people, and you have David. And all 30,000 are coming up against him and are trying to destroy him and take him down. I mean, let's, let's pause for a second and think about this. Like, how is David okay? Because he doesn't only just say, like I said, he, he describes the nature of the fears. He describes the nature of his enemies, but what does he say in light of them? He says, although they encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Although war arise against me, I will be confident. Can we pause for a second and think about the magnitude of this? Think about it for a moment. You're going to not like me for this, but think about this a moment. Your worst fear or anxiety facing you right now it becoming true. Think about that for a minute. What are you feeling? What are you imagining right now? What, what, what worries or anxieties are coming up? 
how can we be confident when the things that we're afraid of the most are so close you can smell its breath? Where does David go for relief? Where does David find relief? It's not trying to control the situation. It's not trying to uh, strategize or think of different creative ways to to maneuver his way out of his enemy's um, hands. Ultimately, he finds relief in, in the truest desire of his heart. And it's not relief or comfort from the enemies. Look in verse four. He then writes, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let me read that one more time. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. See, David found relief in the presence of God. When he thinks of God as his deliverer, as his light, as his salvation, the truest desire of David's heart was not relief from his enemies. It was not resolution from his fears, but rather to be in the presence of God. That was what he wanted most. And so, so what's really interesting is how did David view God's presence? So, so I think we read a verse like this and each one of us kind of in, in a post-cross era, we read this and we, we kind of probably automatically jump to the metaphorical. We automatically might jump to like, okay, uh, we want to be in God's presence. We experience God's presence through the Holy Spirit. And, and because of that, like, like that's, that's, that's what David's talking about. I think what's important for us is that we, we and again, those assumptions aren't, aren't wrong, but I think what's even more helpful is to see how would have, when David wrote this, what was he really thinking about? And so a little context is, is, is helpful for us to, to see that the temple, so, so when he says that I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, I want to inquire in his temple. One thing to note is that the temple in Israel wasn't built yet. So the temple actually wouldn't be built until uh, his son Solomon uh, was king. And so it was on David's heart. He wanted to build God a temple. He wanted him to, to build a sanctuary. Uh, but God said, said no to him, but your, your son will. And so what exactly is he talking about when he says, I want to be in the house uh, of the Lord. I want to inquire in his temple. Well, you look in 2 Samuel 6. Um, so, so the Ark of the Covenant, you look in X. sorry, 2 Samuel 6, you don't have, that'll be up on the screen. Um, but you look back in Exodus 25, and, and the Lord uh, gives the Ark of the Covenant to Moses, and, and he says that, hey, th- this is where my presence will be. And the Ark of the Covenant is where the, the commandments were. It was this, this uh, fixture that, that um, really was representative of the presence of God and where God could be inquired of. And so um, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, after a crazy, some wild events, um, that, that for, a, for a brief time, the Ark of the Covenant got into the hands of the Philistines, which were some enemies. And then there were some other things that happened that were also kind of crazy. Um, eventually, it, it comes back into David's possession. And this is what he does. And he says, they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. 
And so, so again, the temple wasn't in existence yet, um, but the Ark of the Covenant, which was this thing that uh, represented the presence of the Lord, David wanted near him. He brought it to, they brought it to Jerusalem, which was the, also called the city of David. And so when and we see in verse four, um, when David says that there's one thing I've asked the Lord that I will seek after, he was thinking of a location. He was thinking of a specific place. He was thinking of the place where the Ark of the Covenant was because that ultimately that's where the presence of the Lord was. And so, but that's, and that's the thing. He was thinking of the location, but the location wasn't the point. It was that the, in that location is where the presence of God was, and that's where he wanted to be. Amen. He wanted to be in the presence of God because he knew that's where, where his truest needs were met. He wanted to behold God. He wanted to, to gaze at his beauty. He wanted to dwell in the house. And look at those, ver- those verbs in verse 4. He wanted to dwell. He wanted to gaze. He wanted to inquire. And the way that those are written, it's not like this is momentary thing, but it's this rhythm of his life. It was a pattern of just, I want to be with the Lord. It's this ongoing thing. It wasn't meant to just be, I check the box, then I'll, I'll go about my business. It was the truest desire of David's heart was to be in the presence of God. And being in the presence of God is what gave him confidence. Look in verses five and six. And as you look in verse five, note who the active agent is in protecting David. For he will, God will, hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up, lift me high upon a rock, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You look in verse five, the Lord is the one who's protecting David. The Lord is the one who's lifting him up. The Lord is the one who's lifting him up above his enemies. And what is David's response but to, to worship? Worship became the thing that gave David confidence before his enemies because worship was the thing that reminded him of who God was. His light, his salvation, his refuge, his stronghold, his savior, his deliverer. God was what he desired most. The presence of God put his fears into a different perspective. It was a confidence that ultimately the Lord was going to deliver him. The Lord was his help. And so this psalm, again, is not an empty cliche full of just platitudes um, to where we just, we have these fears and these anxieties and we just stuff them down and just, just pretend that they don't exist. But rather, we're getting a picture of what is, what do we, there's actually something we can do with these fears. There's actually something that we, someone who we can go to with them. And we'll see in 7 through 12 in just a moment, um, these fears had a very much had a present effect on David. But again, David's goal in life was not to experience relief and resolution from his fears, but his goal was to be in the presence of God. He found his ultimate good there. He found what his soul truly needed there. And, 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 and ultimately, again, when we look to God just to give us relief and to give us comfort, really we're just seeing God as a means to another end. 
if David was just using God to, to help get his enemies and his adversaries and his foes and the evildoers off his back, but didn't want God himself, then ultimately he's using God for something else. I think we've all done this before. I, I know for me personally, um, there's some deep-seated fears that I feel, and there's moments in my life where those feel like they're turned up a little bit, more high, a little, little higher than I would prefer them to be. And in those moments, like the fear and anxiety, you can't just wish it away. You can't just tell it to stop. Um, but, and so in those moments, as I, was, as I was feeling it, I was bringing it to the Lord, the thing that came to my mind over and over again was what if the goal was not for those things to go away, but just to trust the Lord through it? To see more of his presence through it. And again, it's really easy to muddle the two. Because it's not a bad thing to want anxieties and and worries to to be alleviated. But if we're making that the goal, then then we're really just putting a Band-Aid on the issue. We're not really actually getting after what our soul needs. What we really need isn't relief. What we really need is not comfort from our anxiety. What we really need is not for our circumstances to to be better and to to kind of be mitigated. What we really need is presence with God. That is our soul's deepest need. And and the reality is um, that that our sin, our, our, our warped view of who God is, um, causes us to, to see God in different lights. Our own brokenness and, and sin causes a separation between us and God. And the reality is we can't perform our way back to God. We can't try to fix our way back to God. We can't try to um, just stuff things down in such a way to where we feel close again. We, can't, we cannot force our way back into God's presence because our sin was so grievous and so uh, has impacted us so much, has clouded us so much to where ultimately what we want to see God is just a means to something else I might think I really want. But God being rich in mercy, kind and gracious, sent his son. He sent his son to live a life we didn't, we, we could not. He died the death we deserved. And when he rose, he delivered us from the curse of sin. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are reconciled back into God's presence. We are brought near again. We get to experience the presence of God in a way that David longed to experience the presence of God. And this happens because of Christ. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we are brought near to the throne, to where we get to experience the presence of God at any moment. That's good news, church. That is good news. The, 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 Paul says in Corinthians that our, our bodies are the, te- the temple of the Holy Spirit. Meaning the, whole, the, the, the presence of God now resides in those who have put their faith in Jesus, not in themselves. And if that's the case, then we have to see that our access to God is immediate. It's now, it's here. 
It's not just when we do churchy things. It's not just when we come on a Sunday morning. Though we hope we sense God's goodness and are encouraged in, to walk in Christ in these spaces. But it's not, we don't go to a certain location. We don't go to a certain spot to experience the presence of God because ultimately the Holy Spirit is in us because of what Christ has done for us. And so no matter whether you're at your job, with your family, with your friends, uh, at work, um, at school, no matter where it is, if you are a believer in Christ, this is true of you. You have this kind of access to God. And that is what your soul truly needs. And we've gotten, we get to experience this because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not because of that we did something. Don't for a moment think you've earned that. Because if you do, then you'll think you'll lose it. Or you'll judge harsh, others harshly because of it. And so, so the thing is, um, what we see in verses one through six is this proclamation of, that, of why we can have confidence in God. He's the sovereign one. He's made a way for us to be in his presence. He has power over the strongest fears and things that we might uh, be dealing with. But again, what, what we're going to see, what we see is that we don't stuff our fears down. We feel these fears. We feel these anxieties. We know that the presence of God is what we really need. So it's not like, okay, uh, instead, I'm just going to push these fears down so I can be in God's presence. No, it's actually, we, we are, get to be honest about these fears and anxieties in the midst of God's presence. So look in verses 7 through 12. Let me read these for us. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. Notice something here. What's the difference between verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 12? In 1 through 6, David is, is talking about how God has delivered him. He's talking about being in God's presence and how it's his ultimate good and what God has done for him. What God has done for him. And then in verses 7 to 12, you see God, David is actually talking to God. The, 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 the tone, the, the structure shifts from a proclamation to a prayer. It, it shifts that David is, is redirecting who he's talking to in verses 7 through 12. And, and what's the kind of tone that you're picking up as you read through these verses? How is David feeling in, in 7 through 12? He's desperate. Do we hear it? Do we hear it in the language? Hear me, O Lord. Be gracious. Answer me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't hide from me. Teach me your way. Um, don't forsake me like my family has. Um, you see the sense of desperation in David. And the desperation ultimately isn't because, I mean, yes, his enemies uh, are, are, are breathing threats on him. They are coming after him strong. And he knows ultimately, um, if the Lord isn't with him, that they'll overtake him. 
But his biggest fear in verses 7 through 12 is not his enemies, but but really it's the presence of God going away from him. His, because, because that's his greatest fear, we see that it's, that's his greatest need. God's presence is his greatest need. And he sees what you hear in, the, in these verses, this desperation is, is David like, like, Lord, if you go away from me, I'm done for. And so you see in these verses, this, this desperation uh, from, from David but then you see in verse 8, a little, it's kind of a verse that's a little bit different from the rest of them. So in verse 8, David is actually quoting God, a command that he has given to him. He says, you have said, seek my face. So that's, that's God to David. You have said, seek my face. And then David responds and says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I seek and so your face, Lord, do I seek? So that, again, that word, do I seek, that little phrase, it's not just this one-time thing, but is this rhythm of David's life in which he is continually seeking the presence of God. It's this ongoing thing. It's not just a, okay, I saw you in the morning. Now I'm just going to go about my business. Which, again, this kind of connects back to uh, verse 1. When he says, the Lord, you are the stronghold, stronghold of my life. David isn't, it, it, David's response to God's command to seek him isn't this compartmentalized view, but rather it's this, I, Lord, in every aspect of my life, I seek you. Yes, Lord, it is you I seek. It's this over and over, over thing that he does. It's this intentional pursuit of being in the presence of God. And because ultimately he knew that God and being in his presence was his greatest need, not being delivered from his enemies. Here's an honest question I think I want us to think about as we think about what David is is saying here. Does this sometimes almost feel a little abstract. So, so David is, is, is seeing his, his desperate need for the Lord and his presence, and he finds his ultimate relief there, not in the distilling of his fears and anxieties, which is all good and perfect and true. And we would all probably say yes and amen, and I agree with that. But does that ever feel kind of abstract to you? Does that almost feel a little bit disconnected from from? from Real life. I know at times it has for me. Um, could, could it be, um, not always, but, but could it be that when we feel anxieties and we feel fears and we feel worries, we feel the pressure of life getting to us, we chase after something else to, to numb it. We, we, we seek after something else. Sometimes those things that we seek after aren't inherently bad of them, um, themselves. Sometimes we delve ourselves into to sports and, or to uh, friendships or to, to hobbies. But, or sometimes we might distract ourselves with Netflix binges and, or what I think Ryan said last week, doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. Um, you're on social media and just... You distract yourself. Sometimes when we feel fears and anxieties and pressures of life, sometimes we do delve into things that are a little bit more destructive. Sometimes we, we run back to unhealthy relationships. Uh, 
Sometimes we run to pornography. Sometimes we run to some kind of addiction or something that might just we try to use to, to help us escape. And so, so could it be? So, so first John and, and John, um, in First John, he, he, he says this command, do not be conformed uh, to this world. Because in this world is the desires of the flesh, is the pride of life, and it will come to an end. Could it be that we're trying to find relief uh, from our fears and anxieties in things that have an end? Could it be that we're finding something, uh, we're trying to find uh, comfort in something ultimately that isn't the Lord? And so I think it's important for us to see that what Psalm 27 is helping us think about, again, it's, this is not meant to be a thing that's meant to heap guilt and shame because I think all of us, if we're honest, are guilty of this. All, every single one of us have uh, you, gone to some, uh, trying to figure some kind of escape, some kind of distraction to, to numb any kind of pain or discomfort or fear we might be feeling. I feel like that's a very human thing, but when that is, becomes a rhythm, if that's the thing that we're seeking, then it might make a little bit of sense that when we talk about the presence of God, it feels a little disconnected and disjointed because we've built so many other things. We've, we've piled so many other things of the world to cloud our affections and our desires for something else other than God. So when we think about being in God's presence, it just is just kind of like, I know it's what I'm supposed to want, but I just would rather watch Netflix. Again, this is not meant to be shame, but it's meant us to consider um, that the, the encouragement here that, that life is truly found when we seek the presence of God. And, and, and again, the hard part about our fears is that it's not just a switch. You know what I mean? Don't we just wish that like you feel fear, anxiety, you could just switch it off? Um, early on in my marriage, um, when Kirsty was telling me just something that she was fearful or anxious about, I just gave the wonderful advice of just stop it. Don't be anxious. Um, great advice, right? Brilliant. Write a book on it. Um, we all know that's not helpful, right? <laughs> like the last thing we tell someone who's feeling anxious is just to stop. Like, like, like when does that ever work? Maybe it does for you. I don't know. But we, we know that when we feel fears, when we feel anxieties, when we feel pressures, when we feel discomfort, it, it, again, it's not this thing that we can just slip, flip on and off. But sometimes it lingers. Sometimes hard circumstances, like they go on for months, maybe years. Sometimes things that we're worried about isn't just this momentary thing, but it's this ongoing thing, right? And, and so that's why it's like, the, the, when we think about David's uh, fears from his enemies, this wasn't just a momentary thing. You read First and Second Samuel, you'll see that over and over and over again, David is in some kind of turmoil because someone is coming up against him. Now, sometimes it was because of his own sin, um, certainly, but sometimes it was just for whatever reason, people didn't like him. There, there was enemies. And so, so it's, it's one of those things that for him to come back to the Lord and seek his presence, it wasn't just in times of, of calamity, but rather it was just, just this thing that was ongoing in his life. And it, and it wasn't something he would do just a quick fix, but rather it was a pattern. Because he wasn't, the goal, again, wasn't relief. The goal was presence. 
And I think when we look in verses 13 through 14, I think it puts this in that perspective. Again, fears are not to be this thing that we just come in and out of or that we can just turn on and off, but rather something that we have to wait through for a while. That's why comfort and relief can't be the goal because you might feel comfort and relief for a bit, but then it's going to come back. So, so what, what is the posture as we think about our fears moving forward? Look in verses 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let me read those verses again. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, the pres- Psalm 27 ends with a prescription. It ends with a, an encouragement, kind of this command, this charge on, on how do we move forward in, in light of our fears? And that word when he says in verse 13, uh, I, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord, that should bring us back to verse 4. It's a similar language when he says that I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, we're really gaze. It's, it's meant to be behold. I want to behold. I want to, to, to possess. I want to look upon the beauty of the Lord. And, and so, again, what, what this is acknowledging here is verses 13 and 14. It's the, the relief is not, my enemies are gone. My adversaries, are, they're done for. Now, eventually they will because, because uh, the Lord will have the final say. But in the present moment, they were still very much a real threat. And again, where David finds relief is in the presence of God. We're reminded um, that that ultimately the presence of God is bigger than our fears. The presence of God is bigger than the circumstances that we're going through. When we seek God's presence like David does, um, we'll we'll be able to see God's goodness more and more in our lives because we'll be more and more aware of what he's doing. But when he says the command to wait for the Lord, the implication there is that we might be waiting a long time. That, that there may be a long time before this fear you feel might go away. Or may, maybe it won't. Or, or it may be a long time before um, that anxiety you feel um, gets distilled. Or maybe it won't get distilled. That's why he's, when he says to wait for the Lord... Um, he, he's, he's implying that, you know what, it's not, the pro, it's not that the, you want just relief and comfort. What your soul really needs is more of God. And it's actually, could it be that you will get more of God when you wait for him as opposed to just getting the fix that you need or the, res, the fear resolved? So what if it's actually in the waiting that you're experiencing more of the presence of God? then your soul will have what it needs. And the more we desire the the presence of God in our lives, the more that I think we'll be able to to go to him when we fear, the more we'll be able to find comfort in him and not just rely on him to give us relief. God is not just the means to an end. He is the end. 
So waiting isn't, like I said, the, the, the waiting here isn't this quick fix. The waiting here isn't just this, this thing. And that's why, that's the danger of the culture we live in right now is because we feel pain, we feel discomfort, and there's so many distractions for us to go to. That's not the posture that Psalm 27 encourages us to have. The posture that Psalm 27 encourages us to have is that, you know what? Times will be hard. Times will be difficult. There will be pain. There will be fear. There will be anxiety. These things are just a present reality just because we're human. But in the midst of those things, when we trust and seek the presence of the Lord, your soul will have what it needs. And, and, this, and, and this is what we get to be reminded of when we take communion every week. And so band, that is your cue to, to come on up. When we take communion, we are reminded um, of what Christ do, did for us so that we can then experience him in a way that's um, uh, just at any moment of our lives. And so the question though, as we're beginning to, to this time of communion, that I, want, I do want us to think about um, is that what do we do with our fears? What do you do with the anxieties when you feel them? What, what are you doing with them now? What are the things that you're fearing now? Where, where do you normally go for escape? Where do you normally go for distraction? My encouragement would be to, to, to surrender them to the Lord, confess it, be as honest and, 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 ex, and explicit as you need to be. And then trust that you can have courage while you wait. And the reason why we can have courage is not because, um, you know, we're, we're finding a way to, to, to figure out how to stay in God's good graces, but rather we can find courage and strength because ultimately we are in good God's good graces because of his son, Jesus. When we take the bread, we're reminded that Jesus broke his body for us. And we drink the juice. We're reminded that he spilled his blood on the cross for us. And that when we put faith in him, when we talk about being sealed with the Holy Spirit, when we talk about being brought near uh, to the presence of God through his son, Jesus, what we're talking about is that you are now in God's family. And that is not something you earn to get into. And that is not something you can do to get out of. So when we take communion this morning, we're reminded of the surety of our salvation. We're reminded that it is the righteousness of Christ that brings us near. It is his sacrifice on the cross that lets us be a family. And because of that, we can wait. And while we wait, we can be encouraged. Because it's not up to us. And so as we take communion this morning, would you just remind your soul of, of just the assurance of your salvation and whatever fear, anxiety you're feeling right now, know that you have a savior who's ever present with you and that your greatest need and your greatest good is to find presence in him. There is a lot to be fearful of. There's a lot of things to be fearful of in this world. But take courage because if you're in Christ, God is near. Would you join me at the table?